It's a lot to get organized up here. This is ridiculous. Is it, anybody questioning the song selection this morning? I mean, am I the only one that's going, what? It's not a Christmas song. It's an end of the world song. That's exactly right. Hey, we're starting a new series in Thessalonians. We're going to be in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And every chapter of Thessalonians talks about the return of Christ and the end of the world. Every single one of them. And that's going to be one of our themes this fall. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, Jesus' return, the return of the King. We're going to be talking about end times. We're going to be talking about... uh, Scary stuff. Happy stuff. When I was a kid, I told this before, the way in which the Baptist church taught you about the end times was they would show you this movie called A Thief in the Night. Every eight-year-old on the planet who went to a Baptist church accepted the Lord after watching that movie. Because the way the movie ends is with a guillotine. Yeah, it just, you see this this poor person on a, on, a, on, a, on a bench, and then the blade goes, whoosh, credits. And you're like, yes, I'll come forward. I don't, and what they don't tell you at the moment is like, that happens to the Christian. So like you think you're getting out of it by coming forward. And no, that's what happens to the Christians. And so that, that was my, I grew up with that sort of, theological perspective on the end of the world. And then came the next movie, A A Distant Thunder. And they had these, like, armored Winnebago's going all over. I mean, we should show them. We might, I'm going to find those. We will show them. I will not leave you hanging next week. But we're going to be in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, 1 through 10 today. You know, we're going to, I'm going to say this phrase a lot in the next 15 years. What are your next steps? What's the next step for you to, to, to go forward? Um, we stepped out with our vision statement last, last week that Casper Alliance Church is a church that's committed to fighting forward together through our hope in Jesus Christ. Well, what, what are you doing to move forward? And so we want to put some next steps in front of you at all times. One of the things that you can always do here is you can attend a group. You can show up and you can come to, uh, Chris is going to start uh, an adult discipleship class. I put a little thing about it, kind of vintage church, right? Sunday school is one of those things that's considered kind of passe. People don't do it anymore. The bigger you are, the less time you have for Sunday school. Well, we're going, no, 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 no. Vintage church works. It works. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about scripture. We're going to have great conversation for all ages. Well, you can attend Sunday school. You can bring your kids to attend Sunday school. September 11th, we start Wednesday nights. We have community groups that meet on Wednesday nights. So if you're an adult, you can come and get connected to a group. They have discussion, Bible study. We have kids ministry. We have youth ministry. That starts September 11th. You can join Wednesday night. That's the next thing you can do. Kind of something that like, how do I get engaged? How do I go deeper? And here's what happens. Many times in our size church and kind of just the way we are, we just function. We just kind of do life because we're all used to it. We've heard the same phrases. We've, and, and you might get tired of me saying, hey, what's your next step? But I'm asking you, what's your next step to, to maybe bring somebody along? Say, you're invited to come along with me. We have some women's studies starting. Jinx is going to be, ho- whoa, that's your uh, introduction, Dale. 
Jinx is going to be hosting a, a Monday night Bible study starting on the not a book study. I don't even know why I want to call it that. It's a fantastic book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's been written by Eugene Peterson. It's about discipleship in the age of an instant society. It's a fantastic book. It's one of my favorites. I encourage her to read it. I, I, I'm assuming you liked it because now you want to have people over to read it. And so that's going to be on the 16th, and there's a flyer for women out there. Also, uh, Sandcastle is going to be starting. Are we going to do it on the 20th? September 20th, that's a Friday lunch and learn here at the church building where you can come and have discussion and have lunch together and fellowship and encourage one another and your kids can run and make messes here and, and, and it's another thing you can attend to engage. Next. So what are you doing? What's your next step? Men's breakfast next week, next Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, men's breakfast here. We're always going to put those things in front of you, whether it's me or elders or other leaders. What are you doing where you can take a step forward? And this is not a new thing for the church. It's, we're not coming up with new stuff. This is The church has been inviting people to participate in activity and engagement for generations and generations. In fact, when, we, when I read the text this morning, I think you'll, even, you'll see how Paul is commending the church in Thessalonica that they've been taking some steps and advancing their cause, what they're doing. Let me read the, the text for this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul and Silas, that's who that is, and Timothy to the church of, Thess of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father Christ your work of faith and labor, of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became what? Imitators of us and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, help us to explore this scripture over the next uh, book, a few minutes to, to dig into it a little bit, to give us a, a, an excitement about reading these couple of books this fall. Lord, we love your word. We love, we love to, to study it. Lord, I love to preach about it. And uh, so help us to focus in on it this morning for this short time. Lord, I pray that it's your words, not mine, that there's no distraction uh, from, from what comes from my mouth, but only truth and life and what you want our, your church to hear. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is probably, this book of 1 Thessalonians, the first book written in the New Testament. Probably. Now, you can carbon date it. It's probably 10 million years old, something like that. 
joking. Jokes, jokes, kids, I was making a joke. Thank you. He probably wrote it somewhere, and I, I don't like history. Like, I, I like history, but I don't like to talk about it. I like to just kind of go into it. But I think this is, I like to just preach and yell at you a little bit. But I think it's really important to understand that, that this book that was written is like kind of the beginning of Paul's writings. This is where Paul begins to start to articulate uh, what we see as a lot of the New Testament, to begin to kind of flesh out. And when you read 1 Thessalonians, you start to see kind of things that you, and I know maybe you don't. I don't know. Do you guys like First Thessalonians? You read it a lot. Is it one of those things that you're familiar with? I, I mean, we kind of lend towards our book, right? So some people are like, I'm just going to go to Ephesians every time. I'm going to read Ephesians. I'm going to stick in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the only chapter I'm going to know. Some people go to like Romans 12. Romans 12 is the only chapter I want to know in the Bible, and I'm there. Second Corinthians 4, that's all I want to know. That's it. Hebrews 12 is a great one. And we're just like, therefore, since we're you know, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, you know, we know these things, right? And First Thessalonians, we're like, yeah, I think that's a good one. I like it, maybe. But, but this is the beginning. This is kind of where Paul begins to find not only his, his verbal voice, which he has that in spades, but he, he begins to find his like writing voice to where he, he begins to articulate what he's excited about in the churches, what he wants to see the churches do, and really what, what the churches need to be passionate about. And that's why every chapter of, of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, somehow references the return of Jesus. That Jesus is coming back. Now think about it. Think about it. Just put yourself, I, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to do it. Put yourself into their shoes, into their story, and kind of live in that for a moment, right? Jesus comes. Jesus dies. Jesus is raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. This is 49, 51 AD, right? So this is like not that long after Jesus then ascends into heaven. And he tells, he gives this command in the Holy Spirit and says, go, make disciples of all nations. Go out and tell them who I am. When the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit had come at this point, and he re you receive power, go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? And Paul had his Damascus experience on the road to Damascus to where he would like has transformed from Saul to Paul and had this kind of like life-altering moment. And, and now he's going, all right. Let me start planting churches. So he went on this apostolic ministry around all of Asia and began to plant these churches and, and birth out churches and gather leaders and bring them and, and, and build these churches up. Well, what do you tell the churches, right? We, we know of Jesus. We know who he is. We heard of, it wasn't that long ago that all that stuff just happened. We kind of, I joked about the flakes being around for 75 years, right? And then they're like, no, no, 24, 24 years, that's not, I mean, 24 years, I, so I remember 24 years ago, but barely, but I still remember 24 years ago. I can remember 40 years ago, one thing, that's it, I'm 42, I remember one thing, and it's riding on my dog. I remember riding on my dog like it was a horse. That's all I remember, I just, re no saddle, bareback, Irish setter, Little, little Jason just bloop, 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 on a horse in California. That's what they do there. And so, but that's, I can remember those things. This distance is, is, is almost shorter than that. To where Paul has his experience. The people have heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They know what happened. They know about the crucifixion. They know about the resurrection. They know these things. And so he, the, the thing that he's writing about is like, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back because he said he would. And so in that framework, 
in one of the first letters that Paul writes to a church that he started, you get this teaching to the Thessalonica church. So uh, next steps, what's something that you can do? Every week in, the, in our bulletin, I'm still trying to figure out what kind of bulletin I want us to have. Uh, I put our reading plan for the week. This week, it's kind of expanding a little bit of, of 1 Thessalonians. It, it, it's on the back page. We're reading the Bible together. How do, what can you read about? This will give you kind of a shaping of what Paul, where the Thessalonica church started, Acts 17, a little bit of, of who's involved, Acts 15, some of the way in which he talked with Philippians and Colossians because he uses the same language. And so you can take an next step by digging deeper in Scripture and reading along with the rest of us of what, what God was doing here as, as Paul is going out to plant this church. So a couple things here. We're going to go fast. Broad brush, 1 Thessalonians, what's it all about? Righteous living and the return of Jesus. Holiness. One of the core alliance verses comes from, from 1 Thessalonians. About being sanctified through and through comes from 1 Thessalonians. Holy living, being set apart. So Paul's saying, listen, this is how you have to live. Within this place that you are now, Thessalonica was strategically placed. They didn't, it, it's not like Casper. I mean, I think Casper is kind of strategically placed from a Wyoming perspective, but from a, from a United States perspective, it's not necessarily that strategically placed. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere, but everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not bashing us, but we're not on I-80, and we're not, so Cheyenne's a little bit more strategically placed to advance certain things, like semi-trailers, and oil, and rail cars. and So it takes a little bit of work to get things from here to there, right? So that's why we don't have, we don't, when I first drove into Wyoming when we candidated a year ago, and I saw Port of Entry, I'm like, there's no water here. What? What in the world? Poor, I mean, so I lived in a Great Lakes state. I know what water looks like. Where's, there's no port here. Where's the boats at? I mean, that, so a port of entry to me is like, I mean, that's California, New York. It's a, it's a port where you like, like Port Canaveral, where you get on cruise ships. That's in Florida, if you didn't know that. And, and you get on a cruise because you can park a boat there. Well, the port of entry in, in Cheyenne There, what it doesn't even matter. But it, what my point is, is we're, we're in the middle of Wyoming. And there's things that we can do here, but we have to move it out, right? It takes a little bit of work to move it out. And Thessalonica was situated perfectly to begin to advance the kingdom of God. And so Paul strategically, he didn't just randomly, he strategically puts a church there so that it can begin to spread and the gospel can spread. And we do that all the time. We do that within the church. We do that within our denomination. We put churches in strategic locations so that they can expand and go, and we can send people out from them. And so this is a strategic place. So two, two things that happen through this entire, these entire two books, holy living, righteous living, and the return of Jesus. But let's talk, look at these first ten verses. Yikes. Here's what you need to take away. One is you were chosen. Nobody bristle at that. You were chosen. I'll, I'll reveal a little bit, just because we're open-handed church here, right? My first interview with the board here, a year ago, a year ago, longer than that now, like 
13 months. This is what Mark said to me. Mark was leading worship today. You know that. Mark is an elder here. He's the head elder and head of the board. He, he, what he, the question he asked, asked me, an Arminian and a Calvinist walk in a bar. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> and I, I clicked and call. I texted him and said, I'll see you next week. <laughs> you were chosen. It's a hard thing, right? It's, it's one of those beautiful theological things that we like to avoid and, and know we have to embrace at the same time. That God initiated, he initiated redemption. We know that we can look at Scripture and say, he initiated, he sent, his, we read it this morning, the story of the arrival of the Messiah, the story of Jesus coming to earth. He initiated that and said, here's my son. And then the flip side is we have this beautiful acceptance that where we need to take that step and say, I'm repenting, asking, and making you Lord of my life. And somewhere right there in the middle is where we live, to where we know God initiates and we have to take a step. But Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians, you were chosen. You were chosen. Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. God has taken the first step in renewing our personal relationship with him by sending Jesus, who died for us. Paid the price for our offense. Paid the price for our sin. Paid the price for our wickedness. To restore the relationship. To renew the covenant with God and his people. By doing so, Jesus bridged this gap. You mentioned the bridge today. He made this bridge between us and God so that we can be in relationship. Without the arrival of Jesus and the work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead, we have no access to God. But there's still the bridge, right? We know that. It's not that Jesus works. We have to take a step across and say yes and amen to what you did on the cross and, and how you rose from the dead. And I repent for my sins and I know that I need you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So you are chosen. And what happens is we, we've perverted and distorted this beautiful relationship between God's activity and our response to, to make sides and, and make, make rules and make systems so that you're either in or you're out. And that is not what the gospel is at all. It is the good news of Jesus so that all will win and no man shall perish. Jesus didn't go to the cross for just you. He went for the world. But it's hard because we're like, eh. Being called doesn't mean that you get to put your life on pause and just coast. Being called out doesn't mean that you just get to arrive at heaven someday. Being, being called requires you to work. One of our values here at Casper Alliance Church is that this takes work, that we do the work. We cowboy up and we work. Because it matters, and the work matters. So we continue to de develop Christ-like character, live by faith, and submit to his plans and purposes. We're called. 
Sometimes we arrive on the battlefield and plans laid out for us, and we realize, oh, my goodness, you had this all in store for me. You have made the ways before me, and thank you that I was faithful in walking them. And we just arrive. You are chosen. Take a step. Number two from this first section that you just need to kind of put your head around is that we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for the Son from heaven to arrive. The great hope of the Thessalonican church was that Jesus was coming back. And that's a great hope for us too today. As Christians today, we're longing for the return of Jesus. That's why Joy to the World is an end of the world song because when Jesus comes, he's coming with thunder and lightning. And he's coming with judgment. And we sing this happy joy to the world. The Savior comes. What? Joy to the world. We lost our chance to go to heaven if you haven't repented and turned. He's coming to judge the living and the dead so that they can be brought to God the Father at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, the first thing we do when we get to heaven is what? We eat. Potluck. Marriage supper. Wedding supper of the Lamb. But the issue here is that the return is, of Jesus is a rescue from the wrath. God's judgment on earth, the punishment on those who do not accept Him. And Paul is addressing this. Look with me at the end of this section of Scripture, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning thus kind, the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, delivers us from the wrath to come. The Son is described in four ways here. Paul uses, gets a lot of theology in, in just one sentence. The Son is described as the one who comes from heaven. He's coming from heaven, so he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is leading up. I mean, has he, Jesus talked about, this is where I'm going to go. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be taken chase. When I go to the Father, this is where I'll be sitting. And so Paul tells the Thessalonican church, he's coming from heaven. He's described, Paul describes him as the one who God raised from the dead, reaffirming that this is, this is the one who, Jesus of Nazareth, who was murdered crucified, put into a tomb, and raised from the dead. He also gives him a name. He gives him the name Jesus to be very specific on who it is. The son's name is Jesus. And finally, he's described as someone who delivers from wrath. Persecution was running rampant. Christians were being drugged out of their homes and murdered. They would ask people, do you follow the way? Do you follow the, the man from, from Nazareth? And if you said yes, you were brought out and you were executed. You were crucified. Persecution was happening everywhere. The reason, the reason this letter exists is if you, as you read through Acts 17, is Paul was in... Thessalonica planting this church, and they started to per persecute, and they went after a guy named Jason. True, it's, my name's in the Bible. It's a biblical name. 
short little section. But this is, so they have to run from Thessalonica. And before they got to finish installing leadership and developing and discipling and giving organization and structure of this church, they had to flee and they run to Berea. And so Paul writes back to the church to give them instruction, to give them encouragement, to give them leadership, to give them organization, to give them these words that say, you are experiencing persecution now, but that's not what's going to happen. When the wrath of God comes, it's going to be different than this. But you can sustain this because Jesus is coming. He will return. And that's supposed to encourage our heart, not make us afraid like a thief in the night did to me that Jesus is coming. All right, now let's get to the, the final thing, the meat of what I really wanted to say, which I'm going to do it really fast and with as much volume as I possibly can. This first section, these first 10 verses, there's one phrase that, that Paul uses, that the gospel came with power, with power, so that it convicted. What's the gospel power? See, Paul writes it. They experienced it. We're looking in on this, on this experience, and we're trying to glean from it and say, what can we learn from this? Let me read the text to you, and I know I've been bouncing all over the place, which is kind of annoying. I understand. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Gospel power, the good news, is powerful. What does it have the power to do? The power to expose sin. What happened? The power exposes sins and convinces them that they need God's forgiveness. When they encountered the gospel power, the good news, that said Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, turn from your sin and follow Jesus, they had victory over sin. They, they threw down their sin. They said, no longer will I be a slave to sin. They lived it out and they said, no, I'm going to commit my ways to the ways of the Father, the ways of Jesus. I'm going to follow this way of living. I'm going to love others. And they re were released from sin. Now we have these things in our life and you still have them. I can, we can go around and we all just raise our hand. We have a sin that has a, has a cling on us, that's holding us. And the gospel power says it doesn't have to. That the gospel allows you to be released from it. It doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect and that your bank is going to be full and that you're never going to get a cold. It means that you no longer have to be a slave to the sin that's entangling you, that's hindering you, to quote Hebrews 12. But that's what the gospel does. It's the good news that we have victory over sin. And that power that comes from it is transformative. It changes you. You should look different and be different. The power of the gospel spreads the good news of Jesus across the land. It just spreads. He, he commended the Thessalonican church and said, your word is just going. Your faith is exploding. People are coming. They hear about what you're doing, and they want to know this Jesus. Good job. But that's the power of the good news, the power of the gospel. It spreads. See, we often muster up our own strength and our ability and our schemes and our, and our ways in which we do things. And, and yes, God has gifted us and given us talents and abilities to, to use so that the good news will spread. But the real power comes when it's Holy Spirit anointed. 
and things just happen, and you have no idea. And that doesn't mean we get to sit on our hands and, and just let God do his thing. He will regardless if we participate. But the beauty is, is when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon his people, the good news just spreads. People hear. You leak good news. You leak the good stuff. You can't avoid it. The power of the gospel is to, the power to withstand suffering. We know that we're going through suffering, right? Everybody can tell their story. Everybody has something that they're struggling with. Everybody had a table conversation this week probably that was annoying. Everybody has fear of something. Everybody can look at their kids and go, we're not doing that right. Everybody can look at their, their relationships and go, I wish that was better. Everybody has an experience from work that feels, ugh. We have this earthly suffering that exists. We walk with a limp perpetually. The good news gives us power to withstand that and to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Regardless. Regardless of, of what sort of life is invading our space. And the power of the good news can shape our lives, our current lives. It transforms the way we think. It transforms the way we believe. And this is kind of a theme of First Thessalonians, that we're supposed to be set apart, to be holy, to be different, to look different than the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to be different. And the power of the good news shapes that. It makes us different. We look different. We do smell different, too. And the last little thing here on the power is that we have the ability to throw down our idols. The Jewish people struggled with idols. We struggle with idols. And here's why. I don't think I'm breaking new ground, but this is what hit me. We want to hold something. It's hard to worship something that we can't see and touch and feel. And whether we like it or not, we're, we're humans, and we want to hold it. And if I can put my hands on it, and I can touch it, and I can and I can. And, put, and I can grab it, it, it makes it more real to me. And an idol is just that. An idol is a statue. And we can look back and go, why would you worship a statue? That is so silly. Why would you do that? Why? Why? But I get it. It's, you want to touch it. So what do we, you know what we worship? What's our idols? We might not worship a a statue anymore, but we worship other things. We worship our keyboards. We worship this. We worship our kids. We worship our homes. We worship our jobs and our checkbooks. We worship our relationships. We worship intimacy. We worship all of these. I mean, those are things we can touch. We worship food. We can touch it. We can feel it. We can taste it. We can grab it. So what does it do? It carves out a place in our heart. It carves out this thing inside of us that says, I want you more than I want something else. That's an idol. 
And I think we do disservice to go, no, idols are just statues. They're little Buddha statues with pennies on them. No! That is doing a disservice to what Satan's doing in your life right now. And Paul is commending the church in Thessalonica saying, you threw down your idols and you stepped forward to worship Jesus. That's a big deal. And you're facing persecution from it. Two questions and then I'm done. The power of the gospel. And there's so much, I mean. Two questions. What has the power of the good news, the gospel, done in your life? In your life since you believed? Since you believed, what has the power of the good news done? Can you answer that question? Because as soon as you answer that question, you give testimony, you give witness, you give uh, a verbal like evangelistic phrase to anything and everyone who wants to hear about Jesus or doesn't. Because you can say, this is what God has done since I received the good news. And you have to know that. You don't get to wander through your Christian life not knowing that. I'm telling you as your pastor, you have to know that answer. What the good news has done in your life. How you're different. The transformative nature of the gospel. You don't get a coast. That is important. There is nothing more important. Because if you can't tell that little two-minute story, there is no witness. You have to have that. Good works, good activity, moral living does not give witness to who Jesus is. Your story of His impact on your soul and life does. Number two, who can you share that story with? All of you have people that you can invite into that conversation. Who can you share that story with? God's changing me, and I want to tell you about it. Because the good news is powerful.